Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 218 for Monday, November 7th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is my friend Johnny, also known as Pixel Riffs, across the interwebs. Hello, sir. Hello, and we have been chatting across the interwebs today. We've been talking about games that we wish we could play, but we don't quite have the time for, and other things like TV releases that are on our radar. We usually do a bit of the pre-show chat dedicated to other media than Minecraft, because, oh boy, we've got a lot of talking about Minecraft to do. So if you want to listen to any of that, if you're interested in getting a broader look at what Joel and I do in our spare time and whatnot, you can get in on the extended conversation by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. That gets you access to the extended version of the podcast, which we call The Render Distance. It is the first episode of November. Oh gosh, it's November already. Uh, thank you so much to our patrons for your continued support. It's always lovely to have you folks here. We had a bumper monthly Minecraft hangout last month, which was a lot of fun, and we'll have another one at the end of November talking about what everyone's been up to this month. We've also got things like our Chunk Mail Dispenser episode, which was effectively funded by our patrons, and we'll probably have a quarterly hangout coming up towards the end of the year where we go through the facts and figures of the podcast. If you sign up to the Patreon, you've got all that and more to look forward to. So what have you been up to this past week in Minecraft? This past week has been a busy one, and not just because Empire's SMP is hosting a bunch of the Hermits now, although they are helping a great deal with the feeling of busyness. I think it's kind of cool with our server population having suddenly doubled, that if I want to get online and do something, I say, hey, does anyone want to help me with this? And I, there's usually somebody around who will say yes. Whereas with Empire's before, because we have a cast of 13, and, you know, I'm one of them, so I guess there are 12 other people that I could collaborate with, it still feels like every so often it has its quiet periods, right? Whereas now the hermits are here and it's go, go, go all the time. So uh, the other day I asked in chat if anybody wanted to raid an ancient city and Ijevin turned up at my base within about half an hour. Uh, so that'll be coming out in a video later this week. We took very different approaches to raiding an ancient city. I went the uh, slow and steady way with bridging around everywhere with wool and Ijevin must have spawned in about five or six wardens at one point. So he was just like sprinting through trying to get stuff. Um, but as a result of that, I now have a recovery compass, which I can do a lot of fun stuff with, especially on a server where I don't really care that much if I die in various places. So the, the compass can basically, you know, it can be a MacGuffin that points me to whatever I want it to, which is kind of fun. Um, on the more technical side, I've completed my copper aging machine, and I'm now working on that so it fits with the catacombs style of my base. And now I've run out of copper to age in it because the process of that has been happening whilst I've been building the machine. And we used some of that on the Empire's SMP segment of Love Tropics, uh, where we raised money for Project Seagrass. This was the two-day event that happened uh, over the course of this weekend, uh, hosted by the Love Tropics team, who are mostly the people who are behind the Tropicraft mod, and Corey from the Mojang team is obviously one of one of those people. Um, so we, we worked with Love Tropics last year, where we built... Uh, an empire of the viewers called Mangrovia, where people who donated got like huts and custom trees and stuff built for them in the jungle on Empire's SMP Season 1. This time we went to an ocean biome because Project Seagrass is obviously like a, a waterborne plant life conservation uh, effort. And we, we cleared out an ocean biome, started on a shipwreck and built an ocean ruin all the way around the outside with coral plants growing up everywhere. I say coral plants, they're animals technically, but you know, coral formations and and stuff all around it and we had a fantastic time there were about seven or eight of us i think involved in the end and the result is pretty spectacular we basically built an empire within two hours so i'm immensely proud of what we got done 
That's fantastic. And, and it's such a good cause too, right? Like it's always good to see, you know, the Minecraft community rally behind conservation. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and it's the kind of thing that you see them promote through Minecraft.net every so often. Like they had a, a coral conservation effort a while back when I think it was shortly after 1.13 came out or around that time. But yeah, they, they did a, a bunch of stuff like that. And the Minecraft team in general seems to be populated with people who have a very keen interest in environmental conservation. And you see that in the stuff they add to the game, but also in the stuff they talk about in their, their personal lives. And Henrik was one of those. Uh, Corey is one of those. Like, There's a, a bunch of them who will always go the extra mile when it comes to charity efforts like this so we were very happy to be part of it and uh yeah there were, there were a couple of really funny moments on the stream like Catherine went away at one point and came back with a nitwit who we managed to sink on a magma bubble column but he was still on top of a boat which meant he survived and so he's now just down there at the bottom of the ocean in the bubble column so he has permanent access to oxygen but uh we decided that he's just like the ruler of this atlantis that we've built down there which is kind of hilarious we ended up naming him <laughs> gil uh and it was it was a nice. great time like we, we had so many like fun little in jokes and uh we ended up raising about eight thousand dollars towards uh love tropics overall total of about twenty five thousand dollars so wow. super happy with what we were able to achieve as a community very very cool you must have an interesting, I guess, crossover with the the hermits uh, that are on empires right now because of your like longstanding work on the unofficial Hermitcraft recap. Mm -hmm. Is this the first time you've had a chance to like do any like in game collabs with any of the hermits, or have you done anything before? Well, we've done Clash of the Creators before, so we've done like little two hour right. events and things like that. Um, a while back, I contributed some voiceover to I think Hermitcraft season six, but in terms of more long-term survival stuff this is the first time i've really been on a server with them with the exception of gemini tay and pearlescent moon having joined both empires and Crossover. hermitcraft at the yeah. same time yeah um but this season we have false symmetry on and false has been you know on hermitcraft and empires and now with her and gemini tay they've both taken two very different ways of looking at the crossover which is is really cool to see but this is my first time yeah getting sort of extended play time with a lot of the hermits and it's been it's been a lot of fun getting to know them better getting to know their play styles and collaborating on projects it's a, a really really fun time i i i would be i know i would have a little bit of a fanboy moment in some cases because i have been watching some hermits for so long and they were aside from you and Pulsars Jr., they were like my introduction to really deep Minecraft knowledge, right? Sure, it's yeah. Watching folks like Tango Tech or Impulse. I mean, we've had Impulse on the show now. So, I mean, I, I would, I feel like I'd be a little bit more chill hanging out with Impulse because we have, I've had the moments, you know, where we've had a chance to talk to them uh, at length on the show. But there's a number of people I think that I would, I would be like, oh, wow, okay, this is really, this is really cool. Or the fact that it's not, podcasting which is a separate thing whereas in minecraft it's very much like okay this is the thing that that the hermits are known for i'm now i'm in the thing with them and it was just like sit, sitting across the minecraft field from tango or scar or somebody and just like interacting and like especially behind the scenes that would be the thing that i would find would be the most interesting because we've all seen minecraft creators in the content that they put out whether they're on stream doing it live or whether they're you know presenting an edited video later there's a style there's a presentation there's a bit of humor that goes into this kind of stuff and i would be really curious to see how a lot of the hermits are 
in between recording takes like just just to hang out and play minecraft because there's all that behind the work behind the scenes work that has to get done right yeah yeah and it's fun i i I consider myself in a very privileged position at this point getting to play with some of the people whose videos i've watched for a really long time and like to be considered a peer by a lot of the people who i yeah came into my minecraft kind of career i guess uh watching some of these folks like it's it's really cool to have impulse turn up to my copper aging factory and be like hey wow i hadn't thought of this as an idea this is pretty cool and i'm like you invented item filters you know like yeah we we have spoken to him on the show before so we we have more of a rapport than with some of the other hermits maybe but even so yeah it's it's really cool to you know sit around with these people who've been household names in minecraft for a really long time and consider yourself like one of their peers at this point it's it's a, a privilege to be in the position i'm in right now for me, I switched gears and went on to work on some smaller projects on the Citadel. I uh, I had started a northern barracks a long time ago, and there was a couple of adjacent buildings that needed to be filled out. So uh, I took the time to, like, I didn't even have to really choose a design style. Like, th- the building was attached to an existing finished build. So you're like, you're taking the palette and the blocks and the, the build style and just kind of like pulling it along. And so I added uh, a mess hall to the Northern Barracks in West Hill. And it was a simple build, you know, like there's a couple tables and chairs inside, uh, you know, a fish head. And I used some uh, quartz or nether rack to have be like fish guts, like bones and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. put that on the tables and just little things like that, adding a little stove. And there's a fun little secret passageway that goes under the road for no reason other than just like I kind of stumbled upon it and, and just did it. And so there's a secret entrance you know, in and out of uh, the mess hall for fun. Uh, and then I added uh, a storage shed behind it. And all it is is just like, there's too much of a gap between the mess hall and the curtain wall of the town. And so by building this little shed, not only does it fill in the space, but it also gives you something to kind of attach the stone stairs that go up the wall because stone stairs on their own going up to the curtain wall they look really dangerous because there's no railings so if you can put them at least half of them if you can put the one side up against a building then it looks a little bit less precarious so i did that little touches of some greenery in the back uh, the i've not done any texturing on the path uh or or farther down uh just before i ended the stream on sunday we we went down and i added like a, a bunk house where i can probably fit about a half dozen beds uh and and have that be up against the curtain wall and i'm running into some interesting issues where there's an awful lot of dark oak in the area so i'm trying to figure out what different roof palettes i want to use i temporarily put in some deep slate i'm sure i will change it to like a mix of different deep slate textures that often work very well together but for now it's just deep slate brick uh, but i've been kind of focusing on what are these small builds that I can do in one, maybe two streams and try to fill out some of the holes that I see in, in this town and, and make sure that things are, are getting to a point where they're not forgotten about, like they're finished. Like I no longer have to think about going back up that hill. Like once I've got this section done, that's like the whole front of the town basically finished. So there, there are a number of other things that I'm trying not to go back and redo, you know, yeah uh, other builds i look back and go like wow i really didn't do very much on that roof it's like nope whatever i can't i can't i can't sink time into redoing a roof i did six months ago like i, I kind of have to leave it and move on so i'm trying to like inform 
you know, the new builds by not necessarily a time crunch, but just like try to keep them simple because these things that are in behind stuff are not the main visual thing. So like the roofs are going to look good, but everything else is just kind of going to be, I don't want to say phoned in, but like I'm not spending an entire stream on the interior, right? Like sure. I, yeah. I think I built the shed in an hour inside, <laughs> outside done. Like I just, it was just very straightforward. I wasn't really messing around too much. Um, and it's also not very big inside. It's only like four by five blocks. Or something. There's not a lot of room to put stuff together there. Um, but uh, but it was fun. It was nice to kind of check things off. I felt rusty doing roofs because I had been on the same build for like 16 streams. So that's eight weeks on my yeah, schedule. Yeah. And so, and I did the roof like a long time ago. So I hadn't done a new roof in a long time. And I was feeling a little bit rusty, especially with small scale roofs. Like you kind of have to get creative with like, block choices and shapes and trying to figure out what works. And, and so I was feeling a little bit out of practice there, but other than that, it seems to come together fine. And it was nice to just kind of have a little spot. I kept on having to move my temporary like storage setup and I'm, I'm looking forward to some ideas that happened like live on stream. And I wanted to ask you about this because like, I really enjoy uh, the, from the hip thing that happens for me in Minecraft where like, I was just kind of looking at the edge of this natural hill and thought, you know, this would make a really good, like, I don't want to mess around with this and make it square. It seems like a really nice natural path. What if I put like a wall here? Like, what could the, this be? And I already made like a barracks bunkhouse. And I thought, what if they had a practice yard? Like, what if instead of always trying to think about what building could I put here? I Like, what yard or fenced in area or other kind of like designated area could I have here? And so then I really liked the idea of having like a couple of practice dummies in the yard, like, you know, logs with hay bales on them. And I could mm -hmm. probably use the armor stand data pack to put a couple of arrows in them, you know, or, yeah. or have a, a sword sticking out of one sideways, like that kind of thing, or have an ax in it like that. I could do something like that to kind of like also kind of indicate what it was used for in a way. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's going to be fun. So I'm looking forward to having little touches like that, that are simple, but communicate a lot in in a small space yeah definitely I, I think that's a really neat way of filling up towns like this like a while back we talked about having like a little park in there and having green space and there being places for trees to grow and th those are all really smart ways of using up space in a larger city project like this where you feel like every other thing you do is a house and you're like how can i break away from that so i think that's really smart i think it's a good way to to use the space and feels practical for the era that you're building for as well which makes a lot of sense yeah we, we were talking in chat about having like builds designated and, and having that information help you in terms of your decision making. And one of the things that had me doing these small builds that didn't require a lot of thought is that the larger builds that I want to do, um, they require some research. Like I need to, like the inn is going to take some planning and, and then the building in between the inn and the barracks, I was like, I was going to move on to that. I was like, well, wait a minute. I found in my experience that it's better to build the most important building on the block first. Mm -hmm. And then if you have to adjust anything, you're adjusting the little build that you don't really care that much about. And I don't want to spend time working on this little house only to realize that I want to make it smaller by a block because the inn's roof needs a certain, you know, bit of space or whatever that happens to be. So, I didn't move on to the other little house because, well, one, I didn't know what it was going to be. Is it going to be a shop? Is it going to be a house? Is it going to be both? If it is a shop, what kind of shop is it going to be? No idea. So I need some thought for that. 
and I didn't want to start the end because I, I just finished a, a big project. I don't want to do another multi-stream project right now. I, like I kind of want to run around and like, okay, let's fix this. Let's fix that. Let's put a cart here. Let's do things I can do in the, in a three hour stream. Um, but uh, the story, I need to do a little bit more thought in, in thinking about like what these things are used for and how they're all going to tie together. It's, um, the pathways and the alleyways have been coming together organically and that I find sells a lot, but, um, but to your point about like the use case and the, the, like the, um, the function of the buildings goes a long way and really can help narrow down your decision process, like much, much faster. Yeah. Does it feel good having the Tiger Hill mansion in the background now? Does it feel good having like moved on from that and seeing the effort just sort of filling up the town and adding character at this point? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, from where I'm standing and working right now, you can really only see the tower because I, I've left so many trees in the taiga biome intact. Uh, but when I go to work on the lower parts or when I go to work on the keep and extending the keep to be a little bit more uh, up to date, uh, I will be. You'll be seeing the the Tiger Hill Mansion in the background all the time. Yeah, uh, it mm-hmm. it definitely is nice for screenshots. I had a couple of screenshots I put on Twitter. Is like, hey, I'm streaming right now. Come hang out in Westdale. And I didn't have a build to promote because like I w- I hadn't started anything. So I just kind of took like an aerial screenshot. And having that tower complete in the background and all that kind of stuff is is very very cool. There there's definitely some still some landscaping and riverscaping that needs to happen around the entire place. My main concern actually is finishing the town. And then having it not look finished because outside of the curtain wall, there's still a whole lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the farms don't come right up to the curtain wall. Like there's a lot of empty space and empty roads. And so I need to kind of figure out a way to, to do that. And I might see if I can get some server mates to help out with that. Cause some of it's just like a lot of like, you know, planting potatoes or stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just filling the space with something. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. there's, there's opportunities for fun aesthetic stuff there. And it again, makes sense for it to be outside of the city walls, but still within accessible reach. So the farmers can bring their produce into town and sell it on market day or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's cool. It's, it's good to see that stuff filling up. And yeah, like with the amount of stuff you've got packed into West Hill now, it really does feel like every screenshot of it tells a different story like there's different buildings oh, thanks, in man. in view and uh, yeah it's been really cool as always seeing this project come together i uh, i'll plant the seed now i know that you're you're very very busy but when it is finished i would love to to whitelist you on the server and like walk around and and have a look at it and just kind of chat about it i think that could be really really fun yeah dude let's do it absolutely well, let's move on to the news. The uh, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 22W44A was released last Wednesday, November 2nd. Changes in 22W44A. Bamboo mosaic can now be used as fuel. Chiseled bookshelves now work with hoppers. More changes to the creative inventory. Monster spawner changes, spawn egg changes, and step sound changes. Under the creative inventory changes, hopefully a final round of changes have been made to the creative tab orderings to address feedback. Operator-only blocks and items can now be found in the redstone blocks tab if you have the required permissions. Functional blocks like tinted glass and bees nest have been added. Respawn anchor has been moved before beds. Reordered pressure plates by functionality. The end portal frame and infested blocks have been moved to this tab from the natural blocks tab. The redstone blocks tab now has the chest, barrel, cauldron, furnace, composter. Under the building blocks, the chain and block of amethyst have been added. Block of redstone and block of coal have been added into the tab from the natural blocks tab. 
under crafting, ancient debris has been added, and they've reordered building blocks, natural blocks, and consumables, reordered ore materials and blocks to be more consistent across the tabs. Monster spawners, previously spawners, have been renamed to match bedrock, and they've removed the purple text color. Monster spawners no longer have a default mob spawn type when they are placed by the player. Previously, it was a pig. Spawners will not emit fire particles when a mob spawn type has not been defined. Pickblock now works with monster spawners, and the mob type is now displayed in the hover description of a spawner item stack. If a mob type has not been defined yet, the hover description will describe how to see it. Spawn eggs added a new spawn egg item, Ender Dragon, Iron Golem, Snow Golem, and Wither mobs to the creative mode. Ender Dragon and Wither spawn eggs will only be available through commands to prevent accidental destruction of player builds. The Polar Bear spawn egg colors have been changed to distinguish it from the Ghast spawn egg. There are some new sounds as well. Step sounds can now be heard when walking on carpets, lily pads, and small amethyst buds. Step, ca step sounds can now be heard when walking through nether sprouts, glow lichen, crimson roots, and warped roots. There are a few technical changes in 22W44A, the most significant being the addition of some new game rules. They've added block explosion drop decay, mob explosion drop decay, and TNT explosion drop decay game rules. When set to false, all blocks will drop loot. When set to true, the blocks will drop loot randomly depending on how far they are from the center of the explosion. This defaults to false for TNT on Java, which drops 100% of the blocks it destroys, but it's set to true for blocks and mobs, so things like end crystals and creeper explosions will still only drop a percentage of the blocks, and the ones towards the center of the explosion will be destroyed. They've also added a snow accumulation height game rule. When it is snowing, this game rule determines the maximum number of snow layers that can be accumulated in each block. This defaults to one, as we're used to in Java Minecraft. Setting it to zero makes no snow form at all, which is good news for people who like to build in mountain biomes. But set to eight or above, it lets snow form up to the level of a full block. They've added water source conversion and lava source conversion game rules. When set to true, those allow new sources of that fluid to form. So naturally it defaults to true for water and false for lava, but those can now be switched so you can remove infinite water source creation or add infinite lava source creation to your world. They've also added a global sound events game rule, which controls whether certain gameplay moments are heard by all players regardless of location. This defaults to true, and I expect what they're talking about there is the sound effects that occur when you summon the wither or kill the ender dragon. There are a few fixed bugs in 22W44A, we won't list all of them here. As usual, a full list is available from the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes, but there are a few, a couple of older ones, like sprinting not being cancelled when dismounting rideable entities while sprinting, so you can now no longer take off from a sprinting start once getting off a horse. Uh, lily pads use the incorrect sound, turtles didn't have breeding delay, and camels wouldn't pathfind over 1.5 high blocks despite being physically able to travel over those through normal motion. Uh, there are a few more bug fixes in there for chat reporting, some inconsistent ordering in the creative inventory, etc. Some of that is covered by the rest of the changelog, but once again, all of it can be found at the article at minecraft.net. So I feel that, that you and I are on the same page about the game rules being the highlights of this particular snapshot. So we've decided that we'll be discussing those in greater detail later on in the show in our yes. main discussion. Uh, 
to me, the next best thing out of this snapshot is the uh, chiseled bookshelves. And, and I think they're going in the right direction. And we do have an email about that coming up next. The creative inventory tweaks, to me, they make sense. Like I'm not a big creative inventory person, but uh, anytime a block is in more than one of the organizational tabs, I think that's great. Like that's what a cool thing to have. Like, you know, you'll have all the profession blocks in one area, but some of those profession blocks are also part of like Redstone, right? Mm -hmm. So you're yeah. going to have them in two places at, at once. And I think it makes an awful lot of sense. Um, I did pick up something that they didn't mention in the notes. I I'm pretty sure this was from an Exumavoid video where he covers the snapshots and you can pick block monster spawners. And I believe if you shift pick block, then it also copies the data of the assigned mob to the spawner. Yeah. So if you're, if you were placing multiple zombie spawners and you, rather than having to place the spawner and then assign a zombie, you could pick block a zombie spawner and continue to place that particular type, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's very handy. Uh, copying NBT data like that is something that you can do in creative with stuff like chests as well. And it, that's a functionality that I oh, cool. always have to remind myself of when I'm fiddling around with like redstone stuff and hopper draining uh, containers and stuff like that in uh, in creative. Because yeah, if you, I think it's shift click or control click on them, it copies the contents of a chest uh, in creative as well. So you can put down the same chest somewhere else and it will have exactly the same contents super useful so yeah i'm glad they're doing that with monster spawners as well and i think it's really good that the creative tweaks have really been a matter of listening to community feedback on this stuff like king b dogs mentioned this on twitter that a lot of it feels like a very collaborative process where the community's been there every step of the way but even down to stuff like being able to access monster spawners in the creative mode inventory by default but then also when you place them down, they don't immediately become a pig spawner anymore. I think that's a great change because more often than not, things spawn straight away because the first tick that you place the block down, it decides, okay, it's the first time this spawner becomes active, it needs to spawn stuff immediately. So then you have to scramble for the spawn egg or summon it with commands so that it had that data built into it already. Otherwise, you just end up with a bunch of pigs on your map that you didn't want. So I think that's a really good change. And there's a lot of the stuff that they've done to creative mode, which while I haven't played around with it too much yet, does make a lot of sense to me in theory. I'm looking forward to using it a bit more in practice and figuring out that stuff. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a highlight of this week. I definitely agree that the, the standout is the game rules. And I'll save my thoughts for our main discussion if we're going to handle it that way. Um... Chisel bookshelves working with hoppers is really cool. I think that's one of the other things I thought, yeah, regardless of what else they do with these, if you can load or unload them from hoppers, then they're going to make more automation possible. Like with that change, it is now possible to filter books for like a unstackable item storage, for example, because you can drain all of the enchanted books guaranteed through a chiseled bookshelf in the same way that if you want to remove bows from a chest of skeleton loot drops then you can put those through a furnace and the furnace will detect that because they're used as fuel it can pull those in and out so like being able to use um chiseled bookshelves for that seems like a really cool idea i still think that the last interaction mechanic doesn't work until unless the interaction can be more specific and that's what our correspondent has emailed in so yeah trying not to cannibalize that discussion too much but they still need some work but it's definitely a step in the right direction and i feel a step that they've listened to the community because you i everyone that we kind of 
in my circles that I looked up that has a comment about the snapshot and the chisel bookshelves was like, I want this to work with a hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was yeah. the feed, the feedback that I saw across the board. Uh, and that's good. Like, it's good that they just said, yeah, like, I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't change too much else at this time, but I, I feel like that's again, a step in, in the right direction uh, to, 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 to touch on the, the bows with furnaces. How do you get the bow out of the furnace? Cause when you have a hopper under a furnace, does it not pull out the smelted item, not the fuel? Um, yeah, I forget how that works exactly. Um, and it, it may just be that it uses them as fuel. So like most of the time you don't need oh, all those you don't scrappy bows anyway, right? right. So yeah, so okay. it, it just burns them and allows it to... I think some people, that the, the, the smart folks who put these things together have any of the armor pieces like golden chain armor go into the top of the furnace and then the bows go into the side of the furnace and then you get like the nuggets of golden nuggets, iron out right, and that's okay. just a, a really easy way of reusing those and then you filter the bones and the arrows into something else it's something i've always done that manually because i move on from using skeleton spawners after early game but i think it's a um a neat way of handling that for sure Right. That makes sense that they're actually used for, for fuel. Because I remember for a while, that's how we got our bows on the servers, that we would just go up to the skeleton spawner and grab a bunch of bows and make sure you had enough levels and just combine them until you yeah, ended up sure, with a good sure. bow, right? They just or kind of like, like fix them in your inventory or a grindstone or whatever, if you don't want the chance. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Just kind of, kind of, I mean, we, are, we always had sticks and string. It was more like, it was an easier way to get enchants. Because I think that, I don't think our villagers, like breeder area, hall thing has much for bow enchants it's focused mostly on picks and swords yeah villages aren't armor. the best source of that stuff in, in yeah, general. yeah exactly exactly um would you want to move on to email yes we might as well since it's yeah. so closely tied in with what we were talking about with the uh, the chisel bookshelves so uh here's our email of the day if you'd like to email the show by the way the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com we'd love to hear people's thoughts about what's been happening in the snapshots if you're a creative player how are you feeling about the creative inventory changes we'd love to hear any more feedback that people would have about that stuff because it's always nice to digest it week to week uh, but this email comes in from general sweet pants what an excellent name and uh, the subject is chiseled bookshelf power levels greetings picks and joel thinking about chiseled bookshelves shouldn't they hold eight books to stick with the binary theme of minecraft more could be done with power levels this way chiseled bookshelves could increase in power output whenever a book is added starting at one then increasing by two each additional book so three five seven etc all the way up to 15. When a book is removed, the first book would drop the signal by one level, then each subsequent book would decrease it by two, so 15 to 14, then 12, 10, 8, etc., all the way back down to zero. Even if you stuck with six books, this seems like a much more usable way to manipulate the power levels of chiseled bookshelves interacting with a comparator. The fun that could be had making combination locks would be great. Thanks for your time and all that you do. General Sweet Pants was blown up by a creeper thinking the sound was coming from a stream and not his game. <laughs> we, we've all been there. Trust me. I, I hear zombie noises when I watch people play Minecraft and I'm like, that's just something that they're dealing with. And then a zombie starts attacking me and I'm like, well, <laughs> I should probably get out the sword and deal with this. I do it to myself all the time. Uh, I think it's the basalt block. One of the blocks that you place down in from the nether update makes a slight hissing noise. And it sounds like the beginning of a creeper hiss. Right. Just before it blows up. Not Mm -hmm. the full hiss. It's like the first syllable of you're going to (laughs) die. Yes. My brain kind of a little, little, little eye twitch when I, when I use that block on, on stream, because I'm always wary of of that kind of stuff. Uh, I, 
I like the the notion. I like the idea of the consistency with keeping keeping with binary. I've always found it confusing in that eight and sixteen are what you know keeps with binary, but because zero is considered one of those levels, it light level do, doesn't go from one to sixteen. It goes from one to fifteen because technically yeah. zero is the sixteenth. Yeah, there there are sixteen you know, possible values, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing with with this is that you wouldn't get a light you wouldn't go up to eight you'd go up to seven right if you're going in eights or you go up to, you go up to 15 which is the 16th value um i would imagine that the decision to have six books in a chiseled bookshelf is texture based it's probably yeah. clearer how many books are in the bookshelf as well as each individual book looks more distinct and cooler because you have more pixels to make a beefier looking kind of chunky book yeah yeah they I get to look more diverse at that point yeah. yeah and i prefer the chunkier looking books that look like they have leather binding and stuff on them to the og bookshelves that we have that are very there's like they're two pixels wide so they're just kind of like little red and blue sausages in in the bookshelf you know uh, i do like the detail that they get in the chiseled bookshelves more I do feel like they probably could, with a little sacrifice of detail, get eight books without losing too much clarity, especially if they varied the heights of the books. Like if you had a, a shorter book versus a tall book, then that might be an easier way to to see the, the eight levels. But then if you've got eight books in a bookshelf, you've got nine, you know, output levels, unless you're doing as uh, General Sweetpan suggested, which is to have them go up by two. But I don't know that starting at one and then going by two is all that intuitive. Like when I was reading yeah. emails, like it's like it makes sense. But like if I put if I put a book in in the Chizo book self, I still feel that it would be better for it to operate with a comparator in the same way that other volume blocks do. It's a percentage of the overall volume equals a redstone output. And now that yeah. means that you're not going to go up one, two, three, four, five, six. It means that you're going to go up like, like one, three, seven, nine. Like, I don't know what the, the way it's going to break down is, but chests are not intuitive. Like when you put items into a chest and try to get a comparator output, like you've got to start piling stuff in before you get to different levels, right? You either have to do the math, look it up on the internet or, or just know from experience how to get the correct output. And uh, I always found that confusing because then when you go to a different container, like a hopper that only has five slots, then your output levels are different because you have to, it's a different percentage. So I, I, I didn't find that straightforward. So whatever they do with chiseled bookshelves, I feel like they have to keep it as straightforward as possible. Cause otherwise I feel like you're forcing your player base to like go out and seek it out on the internet in a different place outside the game. And I don't know if that's the best experience. Yeah, I think a lot of redstone stuff you can count on players to work things out with a bit of trial and error because that's more often than not what you have to do with redstone contraptions anyway. So even if the mechanic isn't that intuitive, I'm mostly willing to give it a free pass if it's unique and if it makes sense. And my biggest problem with the existing chisel bookshelf mechanic is that it doesn't make sense for the signal to remain the same if you've just put a book in and then taken it out again because that feel like feels like the block has undergone some sort of change but to the game it's just measuring that you interacted with that slot most recently so that's that's the problem i have with it is that yeah capacity makes sense but it makes the chiseled bookshelf kind of boring because 
it's acting the same way any other container does and so it doesn't really like the, the fact that it has redstone functionality is kind of moot you don't expect that many people to be using it that way whereas if you've got some kind of unique mechanic like the last slot you interacted with is the one that gives you the redstone signal then great but you've got to create a situation in which those interactions can be different than just putting something in and out of a container <laughs> and 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 that's the the problem with it right now so general sweet pants's idea while at first i thought it's it's kind of an odd way of doing it i i like it purely because it allows the signal to change with every interaction but it isn't solely based on capacity so it would be a unique way of mm. having that block actually affect other things the problem i have is that as someone who recently needed a comparator signal of six quite a lot because that's what i needed for my copper aging machine to limit the counter from activating stuff until it reached counting to four um having to do this multiple times if you want the bookshelf to read a signal strength of two then you have to fill it with six books and then remove five or, or fill it with with eight books and then remove seven of them or something like that so that aspect of it might feel like you know you're going around the horn with this thing and it becomes like note blocks where if you miss it by one you have to do the entire process again right yeah um so that aspect is is tricky but there isn't really a way around that beyond just giving the thing a GUI, which I think is a lot of people's complaint about chisel bookshelves right now, and one of the things the team seems most resistant to doing. But, like, you know, you, you might as well at that point make it a kind of programmable block where you could just tell it what signal strength to output. It's, it's tricky. The other thing about these is that it's quite cool having blocks that don't output to a full 15 signal strength yeah, when measured. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so even if they increased the capacity of a chisel bookshelf to eight, I still feel like it going up to eight or going up to, you know, whatever value still makes more sense and allows it to act in a slightly different way in the same way that you only get a certain amount of signal strength out of composters because they can only be full up to seven or eight levels before that's it. Um, and so the chisel bookshelf needs to be unique amongst those other options because otherwise people aren't going to find those fun niche uses for it so i think this this idea is along the right lines and if i had to choose i think i would choose this over what they've already done with chiseled bookshelves like over the current like uh first in like last in first out behavior and measuring the last slot you interacted with to create a comparator signal i just think there are ways like this that are smarter that are still possible to communicate to players it's tricky but i think they can do it i believe in them at this point i i would be okay with it just having redstone signal based on the number of books i don't think it needs to go to 15 i i yeah. agree with you I, I think that it could just be, go one to six you know or or zero through six uh for the programmers in our audience uh, I, I think that that would be straightforward. And if you want 15, put it in a repeater. You know, like you, you can get it to 15 if you really wanted to, if that's something you need to be functional. Um, but um, I'm I'm very curious to see with this and the changes that we're about to talk about with uh, game rules and, and, and stuff, what the technical community is going to be able to achieve with them. Because I think it's going to open up some some interesting stuff. 
Yes, so let's move on to that discussion. Let's talk about the rules of the game. And I think I'll I'll start by giving you my thoughts on the uh, the game rules that they've just added in the snapshot because I, I kind of had that in our snapshot discussion notes and thought, no, we should we should save that. So first of all, snow accumulation height, awesome. Because that's, for a start, another parity difference between Java and Bedrock. On Bedrock, snow layers can just build up over time, whereas on Java, you only get one snow layer. Super fun for wintry maps. Like, honestly, if I had been building my ski resort and there was a game rule like this, maybe even just temporarily, but I would have switched it on. <laughs> because I love the idea of snow being able to build up in a more organic way. You can still control it a little bit. If you want there to be snow around, then it's going to look a bit more natural. Obviously, over time, it's then going to reach a point where all of the snow layers reach that level, right? So you've maybe got to control it a little bit. But for the randomness of just exploring a snowy environment and having different levels of snow build up as it snows, I think it's a cool idea. How does that work for places where you might not want snow? Like you've built a road and you do you constantly want to have to shovel off snow from the road or do you have to still prevent snow from going on the road? I mean, in the same way that we prevent snow in the game now, I guess you just have to have enough light sources around that the snow doesn't form or it melts. Right. Or you have to, you know, snowproof it by putting something else down. Like, people do that with roofs where they place string all over the roof in mountain biomes yeah. because they don't want snow. And obviously that sucks. That's a bad solution. Uh, but it's just what people have to deal with. But I do think lighting is probably the best one that we have. So, like, some lighting under the road every you know half a dozen blocks or so you put another jack-o-lantern or whatever and then put glass in or something like there's there's bits and pieces like that there are definitely creative ways of doing it and i kind of wish in a way that with the changes to mob spawning light level there were also changes to the light level in which snow could form because I feel like right now you have to really spam light sources for snow that you yep. don't have to do for mob spawning proofing anymore. So I think there's there's maybe another um, another middle ground to be reached there. It would be cool if that was a separate game rule, like snow accumulation light as well as height. I feel like that could be an interesting uh, shift. Although when they're adding these game rules, they seem to prefer things that can just be toggled between true and false rather than being on a a sliding scale of integers. So I can yeah. see why they might want to stay away from that. So this made me think of my time on the realm of Vastin, which feels like an eon ago now. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we had to deal with was we did not want snow on the roads and we did not want to light up this like kind of like medieval town with lights everywhere. It was supposed to be kind of like a, a dark and icy place. And so I believe string was being used on the roads and the string texture was like nearly transparent. It was so, so invisible that unless you were mousing over it and you got the hitbox and you wouldn't really see it. Mm -hmm. And, and that was effective, but it was a pain in the butt. And there's always that battle between like, well, you want to have some snow on the roofs because it makes it look cool. Like the snow, like it has snowed in the area. I think it would be interesting if you could limit the height of how much in terms of like, um, because I know that's what this does. Like you can change the accumulation height, but it's more of, for me, it's more like if I place down snow layers as a player, does no more snow accumulate on that? Mm -hmm. Whereas in, if it's not something that I have sculpted by hand and placed, if it's a natural snow layer from the game, if it will still accumulate there. 
So it would mean that you could leave the snow accumulation on, but also do some landscaping around your town that won't be destroyed by natural snowfall and, yeah. and made different, right? That would so, sure make sense, yeah. Yeah. I, but again, like, because I feel like there's other things in the game where, like, if you place, if it's a player placed thing, well, leaves, for example. Yeah, leaf player, decay is the one yeah, I was leaf, thinking of. Yeah, leaf decay doesn't happen if, if it's a player placed block. And I think that if they applied that to snow, then that would be great. Um, and maybe that's an even simpler solution to the, to the whole lighting thing. Like, if player places snow, doesn't melt. You know, mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know if that's a little bit too outside of a, a realistic way, but like, we're talking about Minecraft. So I don't think it has to mimic real life all the time yeah yeah <laughs> um, but yeah i this was one of the ones where i thought like immediately of the 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 control when i did not want snow on my road and not having to place string everywhere would have been a much this would have been a much better solution they also have the option of snow not accumulating at all which is a really interesting thought so like that at that point all of the snow layers are player controlled and they have to be made by snow the other question is does that affect snow golems because those leave snow layers on the ground and people use that to farm snow i haven't right. tested whether or not that switches off snow golems being able to place layers or whether it's just from natural it does say when it's snowing so i presume that's just yeah. weather based and not at all inhibitive of what snow golems do but i'd be curious to test that does that affect and does that affect uh generation like in those snowy biomes you want there to be snow on the ground like you don't want to walk into a snowy taiga and have there be no snow <laughs> yeah you know? i mean you, you still get snow blocks here and there but obviously not in areas where it's just snow layers on the ground with dirt underneath. right so yeah yeah that's that's an interesting thought well speaking of things that uh, decay over time how do you feel about the explosion drop decay game rule this is probably the most interesting one for me. Um, I, I think water and lava source conversion is another one that we'll, we'll get on to talk about because that has some, some interesting implications. But I love the idea of playing on a server where creeper explosions don't destroy all of the blocks, or, or at least at least you know half of the blocks in some cases, because the problem is always, oh, it's left this giant hole in the ground, and it's not like, oh, it's destroyed some precious resources most of the time because most of the time I don't have creepers exploding around any of my really important stuff but it's when you don't have enough dirt on you to patch up this giant creeper hole so then you got to go and get more dirt and that feels like more of an inconvenience than it does a like a real gameplay problem that's like part of the puzzle and feels satisfying to solve it's just a roll your eyes and patch it up kind of moment so i like the idea of altering creeper explosions to drop 100 percent of the blocks the same way tnt does also opens up opportunities for you to use creepers in fun ways when it comes to farming as we now do with tnt on java edition and in terms of pranking like oh if yeah it's something <laughs> if it's something where the creeper as long as you're not putting multiple creeper explosions in at the same time where the second creeper explosion would then destroy the floating blocks on the ground but if you were just kind of like timing it right so that these creepers were coming in and causing a problem but you weren't really removing valuable resources from someone's base it would all depend on the friendly you know kind of relationships you have on the server but if that's a kind of situation like if someone had like netherite in their in their build and a creeper came along like that wouldn't be fun if that netherite was destroyed right uh, yeah I, I i we've had this discussion on the citadel where um one or two of the members wanted creepers to just not destroy anything in the same way that we had Endermen not pick up any blocks and not do any griefing. And 
it's a, there's a data pack like you can easily do it um without too much trouble but the general consensus is like well if we don't want any kind of hassle then like why not just play in creative like i kind of want there to be some sort of threat with creepers uh and um and we decided to keep them as is and this would allow you to have kind of a nice in-between we're like okay well we're going to keep them but if they blow up your build then really all you have to go do is patch the hole, right? Like you're not going to mm -hmm. miss out any block because it, it can be kind of a pain if it's a build that you did ages ago, you're working on something else and then a creeper comes up and blows up, you know, a jungle wood fence or something like that. And you're like, I don't have any jungle wood fence on me. Like they're miles away. Like it just, it becomes a real pain in the butt to fix that. But if the jungle wood fence is lying on the ground right there, then you've got all the building blocks. It's like dropping a, a Lego build on the floor and just all the pieces are there. You just have to put it, put it back together. Yeah. Uh, we've also got a separation of these explosion decay rules, which I think is the coolest part. So, like, TNT is separate from creepers, mm, and, mm -hmm. and I presume ghasts as well, although ghasts have the added complication of spreading fire, so potentially you end up with some of the blocks being destroyed anyway. But still, cool idea. And then blocks are part of it as well. So I mentioned end crystals, but the other one is beds. So, like, you know, beds dropping 100% of the netherrack you explode with them whilst you're bed mining for ancient debris, if that's what you do that's an interesting concept in itself and potentially kind of annoying for players actually because people don't want netherrack when they're using beds to destroy things but there's yeah there's still potential for that to be used in interesting ways and i think it's really cool that they're keeping these things separate it goes some way towards me you know further crossing my fingers for my personal uh, wish for game rule which is separating enderman mob griefing from creeper mob griefing from passive mob griefing from villager mob griefing that kind of stuff and being able to split those up into different categories that's really my my wish list for for game rules like this while we're on that subject but i think splitting up explosion decay makes a lot of sense because these are all very different types of behaviors very different circumstances in which they they operate and i think being able to set that manually server side or you know on, on your world rules is a really cool idea so the huge standout for me in the game rule discussion this week is the lava source conversion which is uh paired with the water source conversion so being able to create an infinite lava source in the same way that two water sources do by default and vice versa if you don't want the water to create an instant water source you could turn that off Mm. uh and and or like as we said turn on the lava source thing i can see that having a great deal of knock-on effects for just decorating with lava if you need to fill something in with lava then you have to fill in a bunch of buckets and or you're going to be making multiple trips and hope there's a lava source nearby that you are depleting as you are going about this so there's a couple things like maybe you don't want to create a giant hole in your lava lake in the nether maybe it's near something that you've built and you don't want to disturb the the look of the lava so by just getting two buckets of lava you could create an infinite lava source and use that for filling things in burning things down for smelting uh the question that i had uh, from the technical community is can you use a dispenser to then get a lava bucket like face the dispenser into a renewable lava source get the lava bucket and have that lava bucket be sucked out of the dispenser with a hopper with a filter yeah and then and then end up using lava buckets renewably as your smelting fuel source because that's huge 
Yeah, yeah, no, you could do that. Uh, I'm not sure how the dispenser thing would work because it's very difficult to filter non-stackable items like buckets of fluid, but you could do that. You could definitely make it possible using a, a dispenser and that would be additional functionality compared to our current way of getting renewable lava. And I think the reason that they feel comfortable having a lava source conversion game rule at all is that now we have the dripstone mechanic to give us infinite lava. So it's not like giving players infinite 100 item fuel sources are really that overpowered anymore because players can do it in default vanilla Minecraft as it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the main thing about lava source conversion is filling up large areas for thematic builds is now way easier without having to use like a fill command or something like that, which you could do if you're playing in creative isn't an option in survival. But even in creative, you'd probably resort to other tools like MC Edit, World Edit or something like that to fill up an area with lava simply because the area can have a more complex shape and a fill command is typically like a cuboid kind of shape. Um, but they, you also get the knock-on effect of clearing lava becomes as difficult as clearing water. And clearing water is quite difficult in some cases. So I don't know if I'd want to play on a server where they had a game rule like lava source conversion switched on because it would be convenient for getting lava, but it would be incredibly inconvenient to deal with lava. It would also be very easy to grief people with it because if you just get enough lava like along two sides of a square, then a huge area can be filled in with lava sources. It feels like it could be uh, uh, potentially exploited that way. For me, the idea of turning it on is, is more appealing with decorating with it because right now... I find it's not very predictable. And I'm wondering if using lava to combine into lava sources would make it then more predictable and you'd be able to sculpt it in the same way that you do with water. And I don't like, I'd have to mess with it to kind of really see how that changes things. But technically I think, I think I would probably play with it on, but I'm, I'm on a server where we don't do a lot of lava clearing. I have done a fair amount of lava clearing and I, in game now I, did it the same way that I cleared water. I just used sand and dropped it in to fill it all in. Um, I don't, I guess that wasn't something I needed to do, but I couldn't think of a different way to do it. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it just means you don't have to worry about the lava then flowing back into the place that you're clearing out. It's like the, 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 the other problem with it. Like when I was clearing the bastion to make my magma cube farm, there were definitely areas where lava sources would meet on two corners and I, I would think, oh yeah, thank goodness that it doesn't end up reforming there, otherwise this entire thing would be flooded with lava again. Like, it feels like you have a bit more control over it for projects like that. So with the other game rules, I can, I mean, I can see things like, you know, wither spawning and ender dragon kills not echoing across the entire server. Uh, as you see that more in, in servers where there might be content creators that maybe are recording and they don't want the interrupt of, of, you know, if there's a bunch of dragon deaths happening, you know, every five minutes, they don't want a big, you know, a big sound playing across the server. So I get that. It makes a lot of sense, especially where there's been a lot of adjustments in the game recently for sound you know, and things like the warden and how sound operates. I think controlling localized sound makes more sense in yeah. Minecraft, you know, and and I'm honestly surprised that 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 wasn't a thing that they just changed. Uh, they gave it a toggle, which is in cool, 
but it's one of those things where like i would imagine the default position for this is going to be left like i think people will if it's not turned off by default then off will be what most people do for it regardless of of what they do in minecraft because i don't find that i want the jump scare of the wither you know yeah. <laughs> noise happening uh in in my world when it when it happens uh so yeah i just i cool that they're giving those controls but i'm i'm kind of surprised and it actually brings up something that i i've noticed about game rules is that when some game rule toggles are introduced into the game and the majority of players play with the toggle in the off or non-default position i feel it kind of says something about the mechanic the example that i think of immediately is like i don't know very many players or at least in my circles i don't see very many players that play with fire tick on yeah because sure. yeah like we've mistakenly left it on after updating the citadel and steven's treehouse burnt down i felt terrible and and it, it created a, a good moment where him and his his sons could log in with him i gave them you know whitelist permissions and they they helped him rebuild it so it took a third of the time to get it back to normal and it was a fun you know bonding thing for him and his kids so we kind of turned it into a positive but it did not feel i did not feel good telling him <laughs> that i walked by his tree and it was gone mm -hmm. um because it got hit by lightning and so we play with it off and i know most people I feel play with fire tick off and it goes back to a, an example that I believe I heard from Mojang developers in the past, which is about destructive weather, like tornadoes. It doesn't feel good to players. So players would likely just turn it off. So yeah. that's why they're not in the game in the first place. And it kind of makes me wonder like, well, if fire tick is something that people always turn off, why is it in the game in the first place? Yeah, I think there's, there's still some fun to be had with fire being able to spread. I mean, you look at, those natural areas where it's like it's way easier to spot a lava pool from a distance if fire spread is on because it's burned out some of the forest around it and i i find moments like that when i just like i look off into the distance and i see part of a forest burning at least i know there is lava there and that can be an interesting signal to players who are looking for lava in early game if you're trying to get enough lava to make a nether portal or whatever i also think with it being like uh, a realism thing or like a familiarity thing i think it's a fun way of allowing players to mess around with those mechanics i think one of the other cool things when you're exploring the nether especially is where i like to have fire spread switched off because it means that some of the fires that get started in the nether when you've got a ghast fireballing you or whatever eventually get put out without you having to spam click them like the fire will eventually like burn down um with with blazes and stuff especially and obviously on netherrack then it'll burn forever but on you know nether fortresses or player made builds or things like that if some fire gets spread to that area it's nice that it eventually burns out and goes away um also prevents um if, if you've got blazes in like a with a skeleton farm for example a nether fortress mob farm if the blaze catches sight of you shoots some fire around and leaves the fire there if it never burns out, then that means that area is potentially lit up for a while and nothing would spawn there unless it spawns in higher light levels. So again, the, there's the circumstances in which it's really useful to have the toggle for people who want to leave it on. In Survival Guide, I play with everything pretty much on the defaults. And now that we have campfires to use in fireplaces, we have lightning rods to prevent lightning striking builds that might be flammable i think fire spread still feels like more people should give it a chance like i like i like people being able to build with 
just natural fire with the flint and steel kind of fire but i think there are enough alternatives now that players won't necessarily lament its absence and there are still a lot of ways in which fire spread being on by default can be useful on empires we have it switched off but we have that and a one player sleep game rule and as far as game rules go that's pretty much it uh so i think there are there are some things that make sense for you to have a toggle for just for a more global player preference but i don't think fire spread in like people in the chat are suggesting like you know burning down a mansion lighting a candle but that's another thing i wouldn't have had that fun experience i had rescuing the allays from the woodland mansion if fire spread hadn't been on because the mansion started burning down once i got there and that turned into like a really fun moment of gameplay for me where without that it would have just been oh there's a lava lake under this mansion oh well (laughs) there's there's nothing particularly remarkable about that so i think there's still room for things like that in the game you know yeah i mean i'm playing devil's advocate i think more game toggles are better than less sure absolutely give give players more control and and the really the the benefit for us or the decision to keep fire tick off was a decorative one like i wanted to be able to make like you know ever burning torches you know in in decorative builds or you know spooky nether flame you know nether hubs that kind of thing uh in order to have those things burn continuously and not have it be on nether rack uh, we we wanted to do have options for that kind of thing, so that's why we did it. We completely forget about lightning, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is you yeah. Know, which is wh- so when so when it happened, it was like no, this should be off, and I realized that it that the setting didn't toggle over when we moved servers. Yeah. Um, in a, from a creative point of view, I can see the toggles as well because like when I start doing uh, stuff in creative, if I'm taking screenshots specifically for me for like the title cards for the Spawn Chunks episodes. Uh, when I do that creative world, I turn off Wandering Traders and I turn off uh, Pillager Patrols Yeah, because mm-hmm. I don't want them in my screenshot. And we have Pillager Patrols turned off on the Citadel in general just because people just don't like engaging with them. Our, our bases, our build areas have expanded at the point where they just spawn all the time and then they end up being a problem. And if you've got villagers around then you've got, you know, Bad Omen and it just it takes on this whole other thing. And so we just play with them off because we don't engage with them. Now we leave the wandering trader on because we have a data pack that that's how we trade with the wandering trader for mini blocks. So that at least is an interesting mechanic, but, but until we had that data pack, we were having a discussion of turning them off because they just, they spawn so close to you and get in your face as you're trying to do things. Most of us doing those things on stream that mm-hmm. we just ended up killing the wandering trader, which is not really the intention of, you know, the, the game mechanic. So yeah. um, it may, may or may not still happen. <clears throat> uh, so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we didn't want to turn it off because I think even for a little while there, that was how we were potentially going to get, 117 blocks right because of the the drip leaf and other things with the wandering trader which i don't think we ever did i don't think i don't think anyone ever got that trade yeah um but there there were reasons to have the wandering trader around and that's why we didn't turn it off but from a creative point of view i can understand why um a lot of these things would be turned off you know in terms of like if you're if you're playing creative like if that's your game mode or if you're just testing a build or doing certain things having you know certain things spawn and not spawn um, having, I think they even have a toggle for like you know regular and passive mobs, right? Because if you don't yeah. want pigs spawning all over your the roofs of your building or something like that, right? it, it's like it's all mobs spawning. I think though, so it like it it toggles whether or not anything spawns, which I find really useful for like creative flat worlds and stuff. But uh, 
besides that, I don't think there's necessarily individual toggles for hostile mobs, aside from specific hostile mobs. And I'm honestly quite surprised that more people don't play with phantoms and pillager patrols switched off. I mean, for all that we hate on phantoms, and, like, I use a slow-falling potion once in a blue moon, it's really odd that turning them off isn't a given, and... With pillager patrols, even less so, you can still pick up bad omen at an outpost. So why do we tolerate all these crossbowmen showing up in our backyards every other day? I think it really comes down to a combination of, in the Phantom's case, not wanting to miss out on unique items like Phantom Membrane. Yep. It's the problem that peaceful players have where there are some things that they just don't have access to if they disable all hostile mob spawning. And I guess that's the toggle, right? That's the hostile mob spawning thing. Yeah. Um, but then... It's a combination of that, loyalty to the default game experience and feeling like, you know, the, the the peer pressure of like, if you aren't playing with these game rules on the defaults, you're not playing real Minecraft. And then the very rare occasion where them appearing is convenient. <laughs> um, like Pillager Patrols, for example. Oh, I needed Bad Omen right about now and a Pillager Patrol happens to have shown up. Great. Or, you know, you want something to take out some stress so the the villagers are a good cannon fodder or something i don't know i think that's part of the reason why you don't see people messing around with game rules like that more often but i expect a lot of those really exist just so people can tailor their experience in a way that works for like families playing on servers with their kids and they think that a phantom swooping out of the sky if their kid forgets to sleep every so often is too punishing for a younger player and the same with the warden uh game rule that was added in 119 you can disable the warden spawning in the deep dark if you don't want it to and that makes a lot of sense for players who are maybe younger and not so keen on the horror experience potentially also players who want to raid an ancient city without being bothered by the warden but yeah. i still think that deviates so much from the intended experience of minecraft but the fact that they've given us the option still allows players to make the most of the game if that's not their cup of tea a third bullet point there would be accessibility too. Like if you don't have yes. the motor skills to avoid the warden, then Very it's really point. not a fun experience, right? Then you're just you're just toast and that's not fun. And so you can cater it to, you know, mobility issues or um, reactionary issues, that kind of thing. I, I feel like uh, some toggles are like player wishlist toggles. Like I'm, I'm looking at our live chat and uh, having a toggle for mobs using portals would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think mm -hmm. in some ways like there's just a matter of wrangling, you know, certain things. You know, for me it was like, man, if I could have a toggle that would stick a villager's feet to the ground, then that would be handy. Mm -hmm. But like then it's like, well, that's kind of, you're kind of pushing the game into like, well, now you just want to be, you know, want to you want to play God in survival. Well, like, that's what creative mode is for. Um, so I can see kind of like the the pushback and and forth. Um, and, and of all the game rules that are that are in the game now, is there anything that that you that stands out to you that you'd like to have added i mean i i kind of went through my wish list earlier as just being able right. to separate out mob griefing but mob griefing yeah th there are some really interesting examples i think of game rules that i forget exist occasionally and i think why don't we think about these more like um the one really basic example is one called do immediate respawn which removes the menu screen from you dying you don't get the score you don't get the print of what 
kills you, although it probably shows up in in-game chat, you just BAM, you wake up next to your bed. And that's like, it, it doesn't doesn't give you a moment to think about what you've just done. You just poof, and you go somewhere else. Hmm. And those work really well for like minigame maps where you want an immediate respawn so people can get back into the action very quickly. But you don't see people using that in survival all that much. I think because the suddenness of some of those methods of death if you don't get the screen saying you were blown up by a creeper, you barely have time to react to it. It just feels like kind of jarring. It's almost comforting to have a you died screen to let you know that you messed up. Um, so that's one that when I was looking through the wiki page about game rules, I was like, that that's one that I always forget exists. Um, another one, thinking of things that have been changed in the past that now we almost accept as the default, even though they didn't used to be. Entity cramming has a game rule that allows you to specify the number of mobs that have to be in a single block before entity cramming will happen, and that defaults to 24. And I remember discussing when they implemented entity cramming, and everyone was so used to their mob farms just building up to absurd numbers, so you're killing, you know, 120 skeletons with a single swing of a sword. And everyone thought, oh, we're just going to turn max entity cramming off. We're just going to set it to zero so that we can still build everything up. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> it feels like we just prefer the default entity cramming values. And it may be because of things like gold farms, where you can stick a bunch of minecarts in one place and that gives you the, the zombie pigmen dying instantly and, and it speeds up stuff like that. Or it may be that we all just decided, yeah, it was probably not a good thing to have 120 entities in one place at one time <laughs> and all dealing with like collision physics and stuff. But everyone now seems to prefer the default entity cramming values. And I think that's a really interesting example of a change that everyone felt resistant to at the time, but we've adapted to almost instantly after that. Like, it really didn't take long for people to go, yeah, this is actually a pretty smart thing for them to do and even exploit the mechanic to their advantage further down the line. So I see things that are like data packs that I could potentially see as a game rule. This is not necessarily, not necessarily something that I would want, but I could see it as a possible player want. Things like wearing a chest plate with Elytra. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, one thing I would like to see, I don't know whether this is a bug, but I get really frustrated with the way that Elytra interact with water. You yeah, end up yeah, in sure. like floaty swimming mode, bouncing on the surface, and you can't get out of it until your feet hit a block. And if you're in more than two blocks of water, then you get to either sink to the bottom or swim to the shore. And so swimming to the like... shore takes ages because you're kind of bouncing and floating like a animal does on the top of the water. You'd have a game rule that disabled elytra on contact with water, like deactivate elytra exactly when you when you hit the surface of the water. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Can, I can see that happening, and I can see that being. Again, another one that works for folks like you who prefer that type of interaction, but for people who are more used to doing the, you know, water takeoff kind of thing and just want to swoop down and grab a bucket of water real quick and then fly away again, I would probably leave that on the default. So, you know, we have <laughs> two different approaches to it, but I think there is still situations in which having game rule toggles like that don't necessarily render the entire mechanic invalid, you know? And I think that, I mean, the solution for me is obviously like, Joel, take your elytra off when you're trying to build in water. But then ultimately, five minutes later, I jump off a building and forget that I don't have it on. And I end up, you know, either taking damage or dying because like I just was not thinking. And, you know, like I can see some of that stuff being, you know, useful uh, on maybe hardcore worlds, like things like that could be could be tweaked. 
But yeah, there's a lot of interesting discussion around like the game role idea and what they could and, and couldn't add and and when it gets too granular. Like if, you know, when do you when do you close the floodgates? Like you can't give players options for everything because then it just becomes less of a I feel like there's a lot of players out there that would kind of turn Minecraft into make easy mode, you know, sure. yeah. with with the game rules, which I guess if that's the way you want to play, it's like a sandbox game. I don't want to necessarily <laughs> criticize yeah. it, but like do you know what I mean? Like it it, it would there'd be there would be a lot more to explain. Like if you're doing, especially if you're a content creator and you've got all of these specific game rules that you've set and people are tuning into your stream or whatever, wondering why things are not happening the way that, they, the way that it would in their game. Then like the conversation, like, is it modded? Like what, like, why are things happening this way? Um, I could see one example uh, with the phantoms uh, to your point earlier, back on Vastin, they used phantom membranes to make Elytra. As a crafting recipe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they wanted to fight the dragon once, uh, or not once, but like, you know, enough times to get the end gateways open, uh, so 20 times, and then be done with it because they wanted to turn the end into a massive build. And uh, as a result, uh, I think it was easier for players to like get get Elytra um, from, from Phantoms because then if you didn't want to deal with going out of the end islands and all that kind of stuff over again to get shulkers and um, find Elytra. Like it just, it became an easier way to just kind of get Elytra sooner. And it was still challenging. Like you basically had to like wait at night, kill enough phantoms. It wasn't, it was like six or eight membranes. Like it wasn't a, a low amount, you know, per Elytra. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, interesting way to do it. And for us, like we currently have the dragon dropping Elytra from a data pack on the Citadel. And I could see myself keeping phantoms on the server and implementing some sort of phantom membrane recipe for elytra once we're done with the dragon fight and most of it just comes to like people don't have the time to go out in the end islands potentially lose all their stuff just to get one pair of elytra and because of everyone being a busy adult on the server they're just it's not fun right yeah yeah absolutely well i i'm kind of fascinated to see if they end up implementing more game rules on the back of there being such positive feedback about what they've implemented in this snapshot. So we'll have to see. And if folks at home, if you have any wish lists of game rules that you think would be a really good idea for the default Minecraft experience, then could be another email topic. Uh, email the show, let us know. For now, though, that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join the community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every week. You can tune into our monthly Minecraft audio hangout and all of the other bonus features that we've announced for our patrons thus far. This week, we've said goodbye to a few patrons as the monthly reshuffle inevitably it leaves a couple of people leaving us but uh, we would love to welcome some more people in during the month of november maybe consider even an early christmas present to anybody you think might want to join the community a special thanks go to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you so much for your support on this episode 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast podcast my name is johnny but online i go by pixorifs you can find most of what i do at youtube.com slash where empire's smp is the flavor of the month the minecraft survival guide will probably be back in the new year but i'm trying to make the most of the collaborative stuff that's going on on empires right now i do stream three days a week on twitch where i'm doing behind the scenes work for the empire series and other bits and pieces i'm also the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which continues to be very weird but you can still find that through a quick youtube search aside from that i'm at pixorifs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything i am doing online including links to streams and other podcasts is at joelduggan.com the citadel cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment talked with Stephen esc this week about the peripheral on prime video so you can check that out at the citadelcafe.com or on your favorite podcast platform you can follow me at joel duggan on social media and joel duggan on twitch where i stream lego on fridays minecraft on the weekends and usually satisfactory during the week thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite I don't make the rules.